1: Welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalnecker. Very glad to be with you today. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to sharing with you the conversation that you'll hear today with Ryan Gerduski. Ryan has been with us before and uh man, he, he's so deep on so many things as it relates to our political process, specifically this understanding or this idea of populism in the United States, populism in the electorate. We've had Ryan on in the past, and that's exactly what he's spoken on. Broadly, generally, kind of philosophically, what is populism? How have we seen that play out in the United States in our political process? Uh, how in so many ways did Donald Trump, President Trump, represent that, um, that group of folks, that group of people who understand populism, who are part of the populist movement. What exactly does that mean? How is he the leader on that? And why is that effective? Uh, his book is called They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. So good on that. Well, we're seeing some things play out right now that feed into What he explained to us several months ago about populism, and I wanted him to come on and help us to understand what's happening right now in our national politics, asked him the question, are we going to see, are we seeing a conservative movement, an uprising of conservatives? Will the political landscape change? Is it changing? It feels like it is, but is that actually happening? President Trump is, as I'm sure you know, back on the scene. He is speaking again. He is out in front again. How is that impacting the elections that are taking place this week as we record this episode? Uh, Many of the primaries. And states across the country are happening. We've got some more uh, coming online. And President Trump is endorsing uh, many of the folks, in fact, right now, at least, again, as we're recording, uh, all of the folks that he endorsed won their primaries. What does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, how important is that? Uh, I'll tell you, great interview. The last part of this interview is so important. A lot of this is perspective. It's just trying to understand what is happening, what has happened, how President Trump impacts what's happening. That's a question we have to ask because he is. But toward the end of the interview, I asked Ryan how we as voters can understand which politicians we should be voting for. Uh, often, if you're like me, you'll look at two politicians, they have the same letter next to their name, they're uh, Republicans, maybe you vote Democrat, but you see two people that look very much the same on paper, similar backgrounds, share a worldview at least on paper, that looks the same. And yet we know that when people get to Washington after they've been elected by their constituents, they often govern very, very differently than they said they would. They support policies that are different than what they said they would do. Uh, This is not a surprise to any of us. I think living here in the United States, this is just part of the frustration we (laughs) experience with our politicians. So the question I asked was, how do we understand who's who, who's what, what they're going to do, uh, who can we trust? And he takes some time, Ryan does, to outline, here's what you need to do. Here are the questions you need to ask. Here's the information that politicians uh, trying to get your vote should be able to answer concretely. These are the answers they should be giving, and it shouldn't be the broad, we'll see when we get there, or I'm against this, or I'm for that. Specifically, uh, how many, how much, how often, what are you against, what are you for, what would you have done different had you been in Congress uh, over the last session? Great, great discussion. And uh, if you listen to this interview for nothing other than that, you'll be helped by listening to that part of the interview. Very glad to be able to have this conversation and to share this interview with you. Please enjoy this conversation with Ryan Gurdusky. Ryan's been with us before, and there's so much going on in the world of politics right now that that are and will impact every one of us, and I uh, wanted to get Ryan back on. He's coming off of a long trip. It's a win, though, so that makes it a little bit better,
2: Yeah, no, but you're still
1: pretty exhausted, so I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that first. So you've been uh, working uh, with uh, J.D. Vance in Ohio. And uh, that's a big win for a lot of reasons. Maybe we'll just start right there. Talk about what happened there. Um, maybe some of the inside baseball stuff. Fascinating race. I, I did not even know how fascinating uh, until I started to really look into what was going on and uh, asking some questions. Talk about that a little bit. And then more broadly, what does that mean for as we get into the midterms? Right, so I worked
2: for the JD Vance Super PAC,
1: which is different than the campaign. Uh, there's different legal restrictions.
2: So I didn't have day in and day out access to the candidate, but we were all kind of on the same side doing our own independent thing. Um, I I met JD about, I want to say three years ago. Uh, He randomly uh, reached out to me, asked me for my phone number. We had a phone conversation. And when Rob Portman Mm -hmm. decided to retire, Uh, I called him that day. I said, if you're on the team, I want to be, if you're running, I want to be on your team. And so I was on the super PAC for the last, I don't know Fourteen, fifteen months, uh, and it's been the primary yeah. process. And I think the Ohio primary was a little unique because it's, was one of the only campaigns I can think in my memory where you had six candidates all with over five to $10 million in their coffers. Uh, you yeah. had Jane Tipkin, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Gibbons, Josh Mandel, JD Vance, um, and, uh, and Matt Dolan. And then for a while, you had another gentleman who dropped out, Bernie Marino, and he endorsed JD uh, before the election. Uh, but nonetheless, millions of dollars were spent. And um, in the end, JD prevailed. We re- JD received the Trump endorsement, which was a very long and arduous experience to get that mm. endorsement, but it finally came. And I, th- right. I think that definitely put him over the top and was enough to secure the victory. Um, over Josh, who was a statewide elected twice, and Matt Dolan, who is a currently state elected, uh, state senator, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was very 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 grueling. More money, I think about twelve million dollars was spent in negative advertising against JD, which That's was crazy. most of any candidate at all.
1: What uh, he he seems to have been, and he, he won, so he was, I guess, but. Um, kind of in a different category, those five people that you talked about. There's the four of them, and then him, and that seemed to have been kind of the the, the conflict. What was different about him, or is different about him, than the others that ran, particularly Josh uh, Josh Mandel, I've interviewed on this show. Um, we have actually going back to our military career, some mutual uh, relationships, people that we know, some things we've done. But um, what what is different about JD than the rest of the field?
2: Well, JD was he's. Uh, Mike, Mike, Matt Dolan, Mike Gibbons, and Josh had all run for office prior, um, and yeah. either won or lost. Jane Timken was the former party chairperson. He was the only one really who had not been involved in politics at all until that point. Uh, he's also the youngest candidate, but more importantly, I think because JD has spent so much time thinking about politics um, and having a very strange and um, uh, unconventional life experience grew up very poor working class mother and father both had addiction problems He wrote about it in his best-selling book hillbilly elegy became enormously successful went to yale joined the military was marine went to yale um, and then ended up working in venture capital um being a literary celebrity being praised mm. by the mainstream media Uh, moved back to ohio and then when he decided to run and really kind of had this evolution of politics towards an america first approach he was then maligned by the same media that loved him a few years ago um and that those and he was very a very sharp strong critic of president trump back in 2016 when he was a candidate and was running Um, but he changed his tune by 2018, but nonetheless, those clips of him attacking Trump existed in the media and they were using them against him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that definitely, definitely affected him. But I think the fact that he would, JD, in my opinion, is the most, uh, thoughtful, uh, on not just policy, but on the, what happens when policy is, uh, implemented in people's lives and how does it affect. Everyday people, working class people, the people that J.D. Vance yeah. grew up with. Um, so he didn't speak in slogans the way other the candidates did. I mean, Josh Mandel's mm-hmm. entire campaign was pro-gun, pro-God, pro-Trump.
1: Sure, um, sure.
2: Jane Timken was she was a mom on a mission. Um, they just repeated the slogans over and over yeah. and over and over yeah. again. And J.D. spoke very broadly about policy that I think really affected him. And he was willing to go against typical Republican orthodoxy that has been unchallenged. It's very easy for a person to scream MAGA into a crowd and get applause. It's very difficult for them to apply the new ideas of America first into real policy um, and be willing to take on the established Republican Party, which is what JD did. And that's why they spent millions of dollars supporting Josh Mandel over JD Vance.
1: You've known it in your gut, something just wasn't right about the 2020 election. Well, you're right. And here's the proof you've been waiting for. In Dinesh D'Souza's explosive new documentary, 2,000 Yules, you'll see jaw-dropping evidence of exactly how the Democrats pulled off the biggest heist in American history. Drawing on meticulous research from election integrity group, True the Vote, 2,000 Yules uses both cell phone geo-tracking data and video evidence to uncover a massive network of illegal ballot trafficking in all five key swing states. Enough election fraud to change the outcome of the 2020 election. Thousands across the country attended the nationwide theatrical release. Now, you can watch from the comfort of your own home. Watch on any device with a web browser. Gather friends, family, and skeptics alike, but don't miss it. See the movie that President Donald Trump calls a real blockbuster. Go to SalemNow.com to watch today. That's SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by Salem Media Group. Having the ability to communicate policy in a way that voters understand it and want to get behind it is a gift as well. And I think that's why most people go to slogans that make sense, right? It's like, wave the flag, wear the red hat, and and uh, you can get behind that, but you don't have to understand what's happening. And so that's it's incredible that he has that ability. Um, you've written, and the last time we talked, we talked about the populist movement. That's what you've written on and spoken on. Um, is there... Is there a populist or conservative movement uprising in the United States right now? It feels like there is. Um, Connected to that, Trump's endorsements, uh, as I understand it, every one of the folks that Trump endorsed um, won their primary, and I think there were 20 of them or something like that. Um, Yeah, but several several most were incumbents and several did not have primary challenges. So that was my question, I guess. Behind that, when when we hear every single person that President Trump endorsed won, <laughs> what exactly does that mean, if anything? So that's one part of the question, I guess. And connected to that, do we really? Will, can we expect this conservative uprising that seems to be happening right now? There feels like there's a shift, but maybe that's just a feeling.
2: Well, President Trump is the most important endorsement anyone could have in the Republican primary by far. There's no question about that. Um, and the base really does love him. Um, what I think that when you think of the overarching number of endorsements, many of them were incumbents, uh, and several of them had no primary challenger. So it's not, it's not to say that his endorsement doesn't matter. Of course it matters It's the biggest endorsement in the country, but, um, the number game is a little, is a little diluted simply because like, Hey, he endorsed Jim Banks, Jim Banks didn't have a primary opponent and Jim Banks won. Of course, because he, he had no primary. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a notch to his belt. Um, Texas was the same or when he went in Texas, it was a little bit the same thing. We'll see. I think President Trump's endorsement in much harder fought races for the rest of the month. Certainly in Georgia, he's running several. He's endorsed several candidates running for governor, secretary of state, U.S. Senator, Pennsylvania, obviously mm. U.S. Senator with Dr. Oz. J.D. was the riskiest endorsement he had to blemishing his perfect record in recent time. And um, and uh, it was absolutely a big risk for him to endorse JD. And he took the risk um, and JD won in the end. And what I like to say all the time is like, when candidates are running, no one can hand you, um, or very few people can ever hand you an elected office. You do kind of have to at least put something in to win it yourself. Yeah, right. Um, right. So uh, Trump's endorsements, meaningful mean something and they're very very important and they are game changers in a lot of cases but at the end of the day i think that uh, you know jd vance being a good candidate was the biggest biggest And even if he would have sat there and bumbled his way through and sure, I don't know, it's sure. really really embarrassing i think it would be very very difficult but and we're seeing that honestly also in alabama with mo brooks mo brooks has not run the best campaign in the world, and Trump rescinded his endorsement. And um, his endorsement alone, and it was going down in polls. And his endorsement alone wasn't enough to maintain an everlasting level of support. So it means something within that you need to run a very good campaign.
1: Right. This uh, there is a feeling right now, and we could talk about a lot of things. I think the Supreme Court, some of their decisions right now, um, other things that have happened cause people like me to feel like there is a conservative movement, there is this populist movement happening. And that's a very positive thing, but it may also be a naive thing. As you look at the political landscape in the United States, and and again, you've written on this, you've talked about this, um, there's probably no one better to discuss this. Do you see that populist revolution that you've talked about and written about happening? And if so, what are some examples of that happening? More than just the feeling that There seems to be a lot of pro-America people out there right now. What are some solid examples of that? A lot of establishment Republicans
2: have put a MAGA bumper sticker over their Bush bumper sticker on their campaign Mm. buses. And we're all supposed to believe they've changed all their minds. Um, (laughs) But I think that, you know, 2018 was a devastating year for the populist movement. I mean, we lost a lot of good elected officials and we gained very few. Maybe Ron DeSantis is like the only one, I think, really post-Trump. Most of our candidates lost via Dave Brat, lose and other really good ones. And then, uh, you know, we won some marginally decent ones, but not very many. Uh, This is the first year to be a real game changer. There's a number of really good candidates running who really embody the America First movement in a really interesting way. Um, Obviously, there was J.D. Vance, there's Blake Masters over in Arizona, there's Joe Cannon in Washington State and Anthony Sabatini in Florida. And Um, there's a bunch of other, there's another gentleman from Virginia. I can't remember his name. Uh, there's John Gibbs from Michigan. Uh, there's, there's enough interesting, smart populace in every single place where I believe a few of them will get through in a Republican wavy, year, which will help us in the general. Um, and so with that. Then the question becomes well, how are we going to govern? I think for the populist movement, there's two things that have to happen. One, we need our own field of candidates, the ones that we're getting now to start remaking the party. And also we need the center to move towards us because you're not going to win over every new seat. You need some converts, people to get closer towards you.
0: Yeah,
2: And yeah. I think we're seeing that in the in several people like Congressman Jason Smith, who's not a political celebrity. Most people don't know who he is. He's a congressman um, from Missouri. He's the head of the finance uh, committee in, in the House and he's in leadership. His votes have become fabulous over the last like two years. I mean, he's definitely been in a better more popular is he's understanding the pulse of the country a lot better. Uh, Jim Banks on certain issues has is also done that. Marco Rubio on certain issues is also done that. Mm. I mean, what I always say is, like, Trumpism is like a puzzle. And this is the first time I'm seeing people trying to pick up the full puzzle rather than just pieces of it. Um, right, sure. But it, those kinds of political revolutions take a long time. The first time people were running as Reagan Republicans was 1994. After Reagan had already moved back yeah. to California, no one right. ran as a Reagan Republican in 84 or 86 or 88 or 90 or even 92. It really took until the 94 election, people started calling themselves Reagan Republicans and um, in broad scale. So we're not going to see it, you know, political evolutions oftentimes happen years afterwards. So even though Trump won in 2016. It might be finally in twenty twenty two that we start seeing this evolution of Republicans really running under the policies and not just the slogans that he ran under in twenty sixteen.
1: You mentioned uh, people putting a MAGA sticker over their their Bush sticker. I think that's a that's a it's a funny analogy because it's true, right? I mean, that's exactly right.
2: Yeah, Um, it's like I believe in America first. You know how we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna invade the world to prove we're America first. Like it's like, what the hell did you come up with this answer from?
1: Yeah. People jumping on the winning team or what they perceive to be the winning team. Words have meanings, though. Can you can you take just a second and just kind of define or divide populism from conservatism? I think there's a lot of crossover, of course, but a lot of Republicans will call themselves conservatives, and maybe they mean that socially conservative. Most of them don't mean economically conservative, although some might be saying that. But populism is different, and I think that's that's what Trump whether it's intuitively or because he just understands it, I don't know. But he gets that, and I don't think a lot of other people understand the difference between the two.
2: Well, I, my idea of conservatism really stems from Russell Kirk and, um, and what he said about conservatism, which is that ideologies, libertarianism, liberalism, communism, they are isms, they are political religions, they are solutions mm-hmm. to the imperfection of human life conservative being a conservative, which is not really an ism, a conservative is to have prescriptions towards uh, the solutions of a more perfect harmony between nature and the flawed, the flaw of humanity. That does not inherently mean you need to adopt extreme positions or only extreme positions. Uh, towards every solution that they will be the yeah. all-encompassing yeah. answer. Russell Kirk himself voted for socialists and pacifists and and communists and, and not communists, but but conservatives. Uh, he voted across the spectrum because he understood that the solutions and the problems of the day, as Abraham Lincoln once said, does not always mean you have to you know dust off the uh, the, the 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 solutions of of the past. Um, what I think populism is is it. Um, I, I think populism looks at, especially right now in American populism, I'm referring to, it looks at um, larger meta policies. And they say, okay, these we have these broad policies on trade, on economics, on China, on immigration, on war, um, and how they affected the overall GDP. The GDP is up. You can buy a television cheaper than ever before. Um, so, therefore, it must be good. We believe in slogans like "diversity yeah. is our strength," uh, like "free trade is always right. good." These broad right. uh, policies, and um, and I like to sit there and say, "How does it affect the individual?" Start small. What's at the center of it? It's the person. How does the person right. who has very little right. political capital and political ability to alleviate themselves from certain situations, and yet are the highest affected from uh, political realities? How are they? How are they doing from the policies? That you're advocating for, because um, if it's yeah. flawed for them, don't even move out to to larger the larger scale of it. So, how does it affect the community and the individual? Then, how does it affect the states in themselves? And then, how does it affect the individual, the international community? But if it's flawed for the individual, especially those most helpless um, to combat large social changes, large political changes, how are we possibly going to um, to to alleviate those situations?
1: Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com, and use the promo code SITREP. So, and I think this is one of, I mean, you touched on it, this is exactly what I think most Democrats or people on the left And probably most Republicans don't understand is that the individual is going to feel the pain of whatever's happening or benefit from whatever policy decisions are being made, and they'll respond in kind. And I've tried to make this case, you know, over and over again, Um, locking down the country. If you're the one sitting at the top of that, (laughs) people don't care what you do until it starts to bother them or starts to impact them or starts to have a, a negative effect on their family and their community. And we're living through two years of that. And and to me, that may be the biggest reason that we're going to see a change coming up in the next six months and in the next couple of years. I think COVID was the biggest indicator of why we need more national
2: populism. Because the country that defeated the Nazis and the communists in under a decade couldn't make their own ventilators, masks, medicine yeah, right, or military right, equipment. Right. This is the biggest indication and we were we're getting flus from China that are made in labs, and we're unable to even combat this. I mean, it really shows the weakening of the American system. And, you know, I, I'm from New York City my whole entire life, and I've been lucky enough to travel a lot throughout our country, oftentimes to work in class communities in other states, especially the Rust Belt, given my work in political campaigns. And, um, and I meet people who are a lot like me. I'm in my mid-30s. I'm a white man. I'm I don't have a college degree and i see people who made maybe two or three more mistakes in life than i made and they Mm -hmm. live in a shelter and i don't and i just think to myself there was no ability for i mean the the star the cards were stacked against them to begin with their factories had moved out we had filled and flooded opioids and prescription drugs from the sackler family into their communities We had taken a lot of them and sent them to wars that we didn't need to be in. And they came back with PTSD and and problems and back problems. We made it unfair for them to begin with. And then just human life. They made two or three more mistakes and they live in a shelter and I don't. And I know that life isn't fair and the government can't solve everyone's problems. And that's not the prescription I'm, I'm advising for. But we should at least look out and say, hey, before we sit there and open up a, a trade agreement to South Vietnam to move their jobs overseas or, uh, you know, make sure the Mexican drug cartel can bring black tar heroin in their community or open up, you know, millions of, of legal immigrants to depress their wages. Maybe we should say, is this going to help them? And if they don't, yeah. if they're not helped yeah. by these problems, what are they going to do? Well, half they're going to turn to Donald Trump? and will they're going to turn to Bernie Sanders because they feel like there is no real solution being offered by the center. And that's what we're seeing, by the way, in governments across the entire West. Why did the center right and the center left in France in the last election get 7 percent? I mean, Macron, won, he's the center, but the other center parties are gone now in France. Same thing in Germany. Same thing in uh, in in Italy. Same thing in Spain. The centers are are being completely wiped out, and you're seeing a rise of national populism in right wing party like Le Pen's uh, for, uh, a national rally, at, or the Vox party in Spain, or the very far left like Melochon's party, the left party in, in in France. You're seeing these rise and these gravitations because the prescriptions of neoliberalisms, the Francis Fukuyamas of the world, who said, hey. Just keep going in our post, you yeah. know, Cold War worldview. It will just always be good. Has been good for a lot of people, and it's not that they expect miracles from their politics. They just want someone who at least cares. And it's, we've been gutted to the point that literally a virus. A virus, viruses have existed since the beginning of time, (laughs) destroyed the lives, not only because they just got sick and died, but destroyed the lives because we couldn't even provide for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's mind numbing when you think about how bad leadership has been for 35 years. And it is the reason why we need to reassess our politics. And I think that J.D. Vance was the only candidate willing to at least ask the
1: questions that everyone else was just using slogans to tape over. So let me ask you this question connected to that. Every politician that runs everywhere, at least everyone I've ever heard speak before they got elected, basically says what you just said. (laughs) I care about this community. I care about the individual. We're going to make sure you have what you need. We're going to remove restrictions. We're going to give you the opportunities that your parents didn't have and your grandparents didn't have. We're going to make a better future for your kids. And then they get elected and everything changes. What happens between I'm not elected and i am elected that causes that worldview to change so i think that for a lot of them look i'm a con- political consultant
2: it's my job to make a politician sound smarter than they actually are and i did a race early in the year and i won't say for who but he's not going to win anyway so it doesn't really matter but um <laughs> we were talking about uh i worked for his campaign for like a month and i was selling him ways to appeal to people on a broader scale especially for a republican primary and I, I forget what the exact thing I said to him. I said, this is how you should campaign on this issue. And he says, yeah, I'm not going to do this anyway once I'm elected.
0: Mm. And I
2: think that, one, we have an entire economy built around how to sell ideas to people. I mean, look at David McCormick over in Pennsylvania. The guy has like 400 yeah. consultants to make him sound right. like he's right. America first. The guy, you know, enriched himself on China. Um, uh, I think that, I think that uh, there's a lot of that. I think that's a big problem, a part of it. But also you never it's 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 just too risky to sit there for a lot of politicians where they have to win the primaries and every seat's basically safe. So they can never uh one the, uh, the candidate with a lot most money oftentimes, though not all the time, wins. And then secondly, it's the candidate who can sit there and appeal to just the base. Um you know, JD Vance in his victory speech talked about making the Sackler family that made Oxycontin and told the country that it was not addictive, that killed yeah. hundreds of that more people in the civil war yeah. killed. Yeah, He said in his victory speech, we need to put them in jail with the Mexican drug cartel for killing and, mm. and poisoning our country 20 years ago in Republican politics. I mean, they would never talk about putting a corporation in prison and accountable. That was a left wing idea. And likewise for left wingers. And I'm just going to pull out an example that, you know, whatever, it was 25 years ago, Barbara Jordan, black female congressman from Texas, was saying, hey, maybe bringing in 1.2 million legal immigrants per year is not great for working class people. <laughs> they are depressing yeah. their wages and 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 forcing a lot of people to live in very the same communities, raising the cost of living, like rent and stuff like that. It's not really productive and we really have to reduce legal immigration. Mm. But Barbara Jordan's position would make, would they, AOC would call you a white supremacist and hold protests outside right. your house. Sure. Um, sure. You can, you cannot even say in most parts of this country, if you are a Democrat, that, hey, I don't support abortion 30 seconds before birth. Right. That alone is yeah, a right. radical opinion. Right. And I just think right. that the way the left is right now, they are so monopolized by the extreme on, on almost every side. And all they can do is really just skirt around the extremes, opinions to sit there and, and hold it. And on the right, I think that, You know, there are a few people willing to sit there and say, hey, maybe we should have a solution for poor people getting health care. That's not just the answer is an opening up the marketplace. Maybe there are just people who, if they get cancer, they shouldn't have to be bankrupt or. Hey, maybe because a lot of the prescriptions the right was offering was, hey, you want to have, you know, endless open border legal immigration? No, I'll have 10 million a year only. We're just going to (laughs) import one Rhode Island in every year. That's the moderate position. And I think that the um, I think that with. These America, these genuine America first candidates that are starting to come in, they're actually starting to poke holes in the neoliberal orthodoxy. Because what they've both been offering, both the center left and the center right within the Republican Democratic Party, is a lot of the same. It's a lot of neoliberalism with different, you know, different, uh, you know, zhuzhing around the sides. It's like kind of sitting there and saying, well, you know, which is better, a Christina Aguilar album or a Britney Spears album? Well, it's the same music, really. <laughs> it's just different packaging on it. You're okay. getting a lot of the same. It's just different packaging. And I think that candidates like J.D. Vance and candidates in in his ilk, uh, who will be hopefully successful in their primaries in, in the elections to follow, are really going to challenge that and say, well, no, this is a lot of the same garbage. And it's time we sit there and say maybe free trade with China really isn't good. And I think that Trump started poking some holes in those things. I just think that uh, you it takes a long time to change an entire political party. And that's what's happening now on the Republican side.
1: How do I, as a voter determine whether or not someone is sincere. I know you can't know a person's heart. I'm not asking you that. But how, how do you how do you determine when you're going to the polls, you're looking at two people that on paper basically are the same. They're Christine Aguilar and Britney Spears. <laughs> but there is a difference. How, how do you determine that? How do you cut through the, this is marketing, this is consulting talk, this is that. But this guy really understands where I am and he's going to try to do the right thing. I
2: would ask, I mean, I think you need to ask questions that aren't, are, are, they have answers to them. They're not open-ended mental masturbation. Mm. And um, they are, they are some, they are, uh, what's what's like the word for it? They are definitely, um, they're, they're, they're alarms. And in, in like that, they're dog whistles. I would ask a candidate, how many legal immigrants should America bring in per year? Mm. Give me a number. I want a firm number. Is it under a million? Yeah. Is it over a million? Is it under half a million? Yeah. Uh, 70% of Americans across every political party, according to a Cato poll, wants immigration cut by at least 50%. Would you support this? like, would you support that? Like half a million? It's a little, lot of people. It's not like we're saying no people can come in, but half a million. Right. Is that, is right. that would that? Or should we have more? Um, uh, cause that will, the people most affected that be the working class. Um, would you sit there and send, uh, what, you know, what, how and this is for Republicans mostly because they're the ones that I mostly speak to, these are the voters. Uh, would you support um, looking through the the Pentagon's money, the budget or the CIA's and what they've been doing the all the co-op military interventions? How many or uh, uh, elections are we are we changing around the entire world? Mm-hmm. How uh, would you be opposed or supportive to see if the FBI was involved in the January six riots? Are you willing to take on these untouchable institutions of power? That are um, that for so long, Republicans have been willing to allow to become more corrupt because they refuse to investigate them, even the military, you know, would you support bringing troops home out of the 800 military bases we have around the entire globe? How much should the tariffs be on China? You know, if you really believe this, if you really, truly believe in a quote unquote America first thing, what what give me the percentage you would put on a Chinese tariff? Hey, how would you how much money should big tech be paying in taxes? And what's the percentage you want of Apple, Microsoft, Google, these companies that pay zero percent in taxes for decades? These people have become, uh, you know, modern day oligarchs on. Give me a number. I want a realistic number for you, because if they can't answer, if they're going to give you some, you know, flowery line about, you know, then they're then they're full of Full of crap, yep. excuse my language, yep. but they, I mean, that's the truth of it. If they, if they cannot give you the respect of answering a question outside of a slogan that a consultant has trained them to say, then they are clearly full of it. Somebody who can actually sit there and who has thought this through. And, you know, listen, if you woke me up in the middle of the night and waterboarded me and said, Ryan, what do you believe in this? It would be the same answer I have right now. I'm very consistent in my worldview. I believe J.D. Vance is very consistent in his worldview um, about certain policies for the last few years that he's adopted and he's believed in. Um, I, I don't want a philosopher king as a as a person, and I don't want somebody who's just been trained to speak to voters in a certain way that believes that they are stupid and doesn't give them and for them the respect that they deserve of actually having an answer to a question.
1: Yeah, that's good. I I, I think asking specific questions, that's because that is what you hear a lot from politicians: is well, we'll figure it out when we get there, or immigration bad, or whatever. Just these broad generalizations. Illegal
2: immigration bad, legal immigration good. Appla- applaud from boomers. Like you know, uh, same thing about the pro-life stuff. Same thing about it's. It's a lot of sloganeering that you're predetermined to like or dislike, depending on the conservative yeah. media you already absorb, and that they are then reflecting lines from in that, ask them, I, I would love to ask them one question or, or whatever the candidate is, ask them, how would you differentiate on policy from Mitch McConnell? What's one mm. Repo- what's one bill the Republican Senate has supported in the last two years that you would oppose? And vice versa for the Democrats, because not everyone is uniformly the same on everything. Or what's one yeah. thing that the Republicans haven't done that you wish we would get done? Something like that. Something just give me a give me a definitive answer And, um, and that is
1: what I think is so important. That's great. Man, that's great. Um, I hope this is useful at all and it's not just me. It's super helpful because what, what it's helpful for me, I know it's helpful for our listeners as well because we really have a hard time. I have a hard time looking at two people that I think are great on paper. They're great. Their backgrounds are great. They're saying generally the same thing. How in the world am I supposed to know which guy is going to do what he says he's going to do? Well, Probably the one that's not going to Washington with a lot of wiggle room built into his platform, right? Like, that guy who shows up having already left a door open for people to speak in and move him around, he's probably going to do whatever he's told to do when he gets there. Um, And I would also look at who is funding them, you know? Is the
2: Chamber of Commerce funding them?
1: Is the Club for Growth
2: funding them? If they are,
1: they're probably not doing what what they're promising to do. Yeah, that's good. Um, with all of that, how do you see the midterms going, uh, but more specifically, what will that set us up for as we approach 2024, good, bad, or otherwise?
2: You know, I think with the midterm elections, I mean, it's, it's, we have to wait and see. I think we're not that far enough there yet, but we're getting closer. Um, and I think that it's looking more and more like, I mean, Republicans are going to win the house. There's no question in my mind. The Senate is a little closer, um we'll have to see how herschel walker's campaign actually ends up we'll have to see who pulls out of it in arizona and in nevada and make sure mm. there's nothing like serious i'm so sorry um i'm so, so it's really sorry. not that bad on this end. oh okay no, it's good fine. good because over here yeah. it's like i mean they might as well be next to me um <laughs> the uh i i i think that it matters of who who is um who is the candidates and you know what is what what are they actually running on It's looking overall like the favorability for Republicans might be an R plus 6, R plus 7 years. So I think the House is 100% going to be won. Uh, The Senate is likely, but we'll see. There's four major states, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada.
1: And will that set us up for good things in 24? Or will that be a, the Republicans are going to screw it up again and we're going to struggle again in 24? Well, I always say never underestimate the ability of Republicans to screw something up. So
2: that's <laughs> sure. easily yeah. easily a, a decision. Um, the other thing is, is that there's a very real scenario where we walk into 2025 Jennifer, with the Republican president, Republican House, and 60 Republican senators. Because this election cycle is tough for Republicans. There's not a lot of really purple seats that are up. But in 2024, Mm. there's a ton of purple seats that are up. You have Maine, you have Ohio, you have Michigan, Montana, West Virginia, Arizona, Georgia again. Um, I think this year is the precursor for that. And look, I mean, uh, there's a lot that could still happen. I mean, if Joe Biden is the president for four four full years, as I expect him to be, um, and we go into a recession and inflation... I don't think there's anything that can be done. I mean, we could, we could literally resurrect the dead body of Ronald Reagan and probably win on that. So,
1: I mean, That's, that's, (laughs) that's what the situation will be like if we end up in that kind of situation. Yeah. That's good. Ryan, uh, so many good things here and, and it is very, very helpful. Um, you understand these issues, I think, in a way that many people do not. Where can people follow you? I know you're active on Twitter, but where else can people follow you and learn? Yeah,
2: my my active Twitter addiction at Ryan Gerdusky. <laughs> um, my website Ryan Gruduski. You can buy my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere books are sold. And um, and uh, yeah, my website Ryan Gerdusky, And I have Facebook, but I barely ever post there, but mostly Twitter. Sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, hopefully, Twitter will get easier to post too, right? I mean, we're we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. So. We'll see. Ryan, awesome. Thank you, as always, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. They'll get pills because they can't sleep. Now they get pills for depression. Before well, they know they're taking 12 different medications, and when it's not working out, these guys lose hope, and that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. I remember talking to a licensed social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went. And I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Appreciate Ryan's perspective and his help. Uh, Really very concrete things that we can do as folks who are interested in the future of our country. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you for watching and or listening. If you are listening to the podcast version of this, make sure that you are subscribed on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening from. Very important that you're subscribed so that three times a week you're getting these new episodes of The Situation Report. Want to make sure you're doing that. Also, if you'd like to watch the video of these interviews, you can go to YouTube, search for the Situation Report. You'll find our channel there. Subscribe, hit the notification bell. You can also leave comments there, share that content out. That's a great place to interact with us and to share this content with others. An episode like today's you want to share with other people, you can do that there on YouTube. If you listen or watch on Rumble, you can do that as well. We're just about everywhere. You can find us. Make sure you're subscribed wherever it is you go most often. Thank you again for joining us. Look forward to talking to you next time.